I want to talk to you tonight about a full experience of God, and we may not finish all of this tonight, and so we'll pick up on some more of it uh, next week. One of the things I really have always passionately wanted to do as a pastor, even as a young pastor, youth pastor, and when I was traveling, one of the things that I've really desperately wanted is I've wanted to see people grow in their faith. I've wanted to see people grow in their discipleship and and see them grow in Christ. See them as what the Bible talks about and how we mature in Christ. I want to see us go from milk lovers. Now, if you're familiar with reading your Bible, you're going to, be, you're going to understand what I'm going to say. I want us to, be, to grow from being milk lovers to spiritual carnivores, which means we love meat. Every year we do a 40-day fast here at Woodland Church, and I ask people to give something up for 40 days, and I ask you to join me at least one day a week to fast if, you're, if that's medically possible for you. And typically what I do every single year is I give up meats and sweets during that time. When that 40 days is over, I am a carnivore. Way before that 40 days is over, I am just wanting not chicken, not fish. I want a piece of medium rare red meat to eat right away. So I want to see you develop this hunger for the meat of the word of the Lord. But I also want to see us come to the place where we as Christians, and this is an important statement. You might want to just write this down in your outline where we believe what we say we believe. And when I say believe, you remember in the Bible, when you believe something, you do it. We, we ought to believe what we believe, and we ought to believe what we say we believe and just live that out. Augustine said that where Christ is, there is the church. And that's a powerful statement. Where Christ is, there's the church. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there's the church. So if Paul, if you and Alan and I were to have lunch together, Christ would be there with us. We know Christ is with us wherever we go. But as we gather here tonight, Christ is here. And we don't want just to say that Christ is here. We want my prayer every single week, every single service, every single board meeting, every single group I speak to is that we experience the presence of Christ. And even when I'm having lunch with some of my friends that are not believers, my prayer always is, God, let them taste you, let them see you, let them feel you. And I'm not talking about me. I just want them to have this encounter with God. So what I'd like us to do tonight is we're going to start with 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. And Peter is writing to people now, just to, to back up for those of you that we went through this um, over a year ago, Peter is writing to people who have been Christians for maybe 30 years by now. These are people that have really lived for the Lord. And so Peter says to them, get rid of all evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Now you would think after 30 years, they would be done with this, Right? But how many of you know that sometimes if we're not careful, we allow these things to creep back into our lives? He even writes to these folks that have been living for the Lord a long time. He says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. I can remember our children, when they would get hungry, they would cry out for milk. They would grasp for the bottle. I was talking to Chris and Rachel just recently about our grandson, Bear, and 
I said, what's he like when he wakes up in the morning? And this, when the first thing he wants is his baba. He's after that bottle. He's craving that milk. And, of course, we like that because he's growing. But we want to see him move from that to, to craving and wanting meat. Notice what he says, now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Now, what I'm going to say is going to gross some people out. And for some of you, you're going to go, oh, I understand. But all my life, I had heard how bad raw oysters were on the half shell. I'd heard that. And then a friend of mine who went to the Gulf every week, brought back fresh seafood. He always brought back a bushel of oysters. And, and they'd had Becky and I down for dinner every week. And I would never eat the raw oysters. And he said, Pastor, at least try them. And I go, no, they look gross. They look ugly. I, you know, I've heard how terrible they are. He goes, if you'll just try one, if you don't like it, I'll never say another word to you about it. Unfortunately, when I tried it, it was delicious. It was so good. It was, my wife is shaking her head. I was hooked. And I, from that time on, it's why he's saying, right, and I know for some of you are just going, oh, gag. But the Bible says, well, now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness, once you've really tasted of the Lord, you just can't wait to get more. You want more. You crave more. So the first thing I'd like you to look at tonight is spiritual growth is essential for me. Spiritual growth is essential for me. Spiritual growth is not optional. And spiritual growth doesn't happen automatically. And I think we need to contemplate that. You have to choose to grow spiritually. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren refers to the fact that if we grow, we should be growing in Christ because it's, a, it's what a healthy Christian does. If you have a child, you look to see that that baby's growing. If he's not growing or she's not growing, you take that child to the doctor to find out what's wrong. This evening, I got a call from a friend of mine about someone whose child had an intestinal disorder that has caused them to stop growing. And I thought, wow, what a perfect illustration. Something's wrong with the child. So in order for the child to grow, this problem has got to be corrected. Spiritual growth is some people think, well, I'm just automatically going to grow. No, you have to choose to grow. But from God's perspective... According to what I just read you from 1 Peter, it should be natural for us to grow, but we're fighting a battle, and that's something that we have to remember. We're constantly fighting this battle that wants to keep us from growing. Look at what Paul wrote here in our next passage. Paul said, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. Now, just stop for a moment and think about what he's saying here. He says, I wanted to talk to you as spiritually mature people, but I had to talk to you as though you were an infant in Christ. And I don't believe there's anyone in this room that I'm having to talk to like you're an infant in Christ. But I think this is important to see. Paul said, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. One of my favorite stories to tell, and I've told it at least a dozen times here, is about the new pastor that was elected to serve the congregation. First week he got up, he preached on love. 
Second week he got up, he preached the same message on love. Everybody thought, well, that's different. Third week he got up, he preached the same message on love. The fourth week he got up, he preached the same message on love. And the board approached him and says, don't you have any other sermons besides this one on love? He goes, oh, sure, I've got plenty of sermons, but once y'all start doing this one, I'll preach another one. In other words, Paul is saying to here, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready, like the preacher's hand, until you start loving each other. And he says this, and what an indictment, and you still aren't ready, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like, pe like, like people of the world? It's the same problem that Peter was addressing to another congregation saying that you should be growing, but you're not growing. Every single one of us starts as an infant. Everyone in this room, whether you gave your life to Christ when you were 80 or whether you gave your life to Christ when you were 16. We move from infancy into toddlerhood. We move from toddlerhood into adolescence. We move into adolescence into maturity or adulthood. And for everyone, it takes place differently because nobody is the same. I've seen some people who just really, really went after God with all their heart, and it was remarkable how rapidly they grew in their faith and they grew in the Lord. And then I've seen people that have lived for the Lord or been saved, as they would say, for 20, 30 years, and they've never grown any. And friends, when I look at the Bible and I read the Bible, God has gone to tremendous lengths. God has gone to great lengths in order to help you and me grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. First of all, he gave us the Holy Spirit to lead us. And the Holy Spirit leads us according to John chapter 14 and verse 17. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. He lives with you now and later will be in you. What does the leading of the Holy Spirit feels like? It feels like a tug at your heart. It feels like a nudge in your life. It feels like this prompting that's inspirational that happens in your life. How many of you have ever felt that tug from the Holy Spirit in your life where you just felt drawn and you felt pulled against maybe the natural current of where you were going and God has called you to a different place or a different ministry? Or how many of you ever felt this nudge when you were in a restaurant or you're at work, you felt this nudge to share your faith? That's the Holy Spirit who lives in you, working in you. This is a dangerous verse, according to some people, to share with Christians, but I definitely believe this, Philippians 2.13, so I happily share it. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Now, notice that last part, to do what pleases him. Circle that phrase, do what pleases him. Sometimes people tell me the Holy Spirit is leading me to do this or God is leading me to do this. And maybe there's controversy in their family. Maybe it's caused some struggles in their marriage. For whatever the reason, I'll say, well, let's sit down and see, does this please God? Today, I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit in my prayer time. And when I felt that nudge from the Holy Spirit, I left the sanctuary because it was mid-morning prayer when we pray over the needs of our congregation. I left the sanctuary. I went straight to my study. I wrote down everything that I felt the Holy Spirit kind of nudging. It wasn't as much a tug, but as a nudge. 
I wrote it all down, and then I said, now, Lord, I ask you to help me to anchor this in Scripture before I begin to share this. Because if I can't anchor it in Scripture, I'm not confident to share it. But if I can anchor it, then I know it's what pleases God. Does that make sense? So you, you want to be this person. You're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, but you always want to remember the Holy Spirit will never lead you outside of His Word, which leads me to the second thing God has He's given us, not only the Holy Spirit, but the Bible. God gave us His Word. It nourishes us. Just like milk nourishes an infant and meat nourishes a grown person, the Bible nourishes us. Now, think about this for just a moment. You might think, ooh, the Holy Spirit, that's so much more important than the Bible. And on the surface, I would agree. We don't worship the Bible. We worship God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are not idolaters that worship the Bible, but we know that God has spoken to us through His Word. We know that His Word is living, and we also know the tremendous price that many people have paid from being torn apart, burned alive, drowned, killed, to give us the Word of the Lord. The Bible you have tonight that you're reading in English is primarily the work of William Tyndale. And I used to take people to the place where they burned his body all because William Tyndale wanted the common man, the plowman as he called him, the, the common man to be able to read the Bible. So never take it for granted, but understand why God gives us his word. It nourishes us. It gives us the information we need for life. John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus said, the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, this is different than Chaucer. This is different than reading the latest Daniel Silva novel. This is spirit and this is life. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. There's that emphasis on, on food and eating again. He says, I devoured them and they are my joy and my heart's delight. And I hope if you can't say that tonight, honestly to yourself, I hope that the Holy Spirit will help you come to that place where you can say, yes, I want to devour the Word of God. I, I want it to become my joy and my heart's delight. Notice what Paul said to young Pastor Timothy. He said, Timothy, Pastor Tim, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a worthy servant of Jesus Christ one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do you know what that says to me as a pastor? As I study and prepare the Word to share with you, I'm being nourished as well, but I'm also following the good teaching that I've been given. I got a call today just before the storm swept in, and so I was sitting in my car, and I took the car, and I heard this old feeble voice on the other end of the line saying, Dennis... And I had the most wonderful conversation for about 20, 25 minutes from an old pastor that had mentored me and nourished me and just called me. And he says, I read every one of your posts. I read everything you're and just pouring into my life. And I just sat there for a moment and I told him, I says, do you realize how much you poured into my life and how much you invested into my life? I said, it doesn't happen up here in the north, but when I'm speaking down south, People always say something like this to me. You remind me so much of Cortez Frazier. And it's because he fed me, he nourished me, he encouraged me. And I hope that someday somebody will say to you, you know what? 
that sounds just like Pastor Clanton when you're talking. Because when you do, it means that I've been feeding and nourishing you as well. Then he gives us the church. And the church, the purpose of the church, we're to encourage one another. We're to exhort one another. And how do we do that? Well, first of all, we do that through discipleship. Discipleship is when we teach people how to live out their faith and share their faith. You might want to write that down because the notes got pretty lengthy this evening. But discipleship is, is how to live out your faith, and discipleship is how to share your faith. Look at what the Bible says. <clears throat> Pardon me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, For the Lord is a spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Now what's He saying there? What's this veil? The veil is the people who were trying, it was over their eyes, it was blinding them. It was over their eyes, they were trying to earn their way to God by obeying the Bible. Now remember again, the New Testament Christians did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as we have it today. They had the Old Testament. And the veil was that somehow or another we could save ourselves. Paul earlier in the chapter says, you can have that veil only removed by believing in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you see the work is already done. And what happens is there is a freedom in your life to live and then the Lord, who is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, living in our heart, look at what happens. As we encourage one another, makes us more and more like Him. We are changed in His glorious image. I am a better Christian because of every one of you here in this room. I'm a better follower of Jesus. I reflect Jesus because of the encouragement you bring into my life. And that's what the church is supposed to do. Do you see now why both Peter and Paul... I also want to say Mary there, but I can't. Why both Peter and Paul say, get rid of malicious behavior. Get rid of jealousy. Get rid of bickering. Get rid of arguing. Because all of this works against what the church is called to do and encourage. But we're also to mentor and encourage one another. Discipleship is how to live out your faith and how to share your faith. Mentoring is how we share the skills that we have learned for living, that the Bible teaches us. And mentoring is also to teach us how to, to do certain things that God calls us to do. So we have mentors to people. Discipleship is how to, what the faith teaches, how to live it, how to share it. But mentoring is teaching those skills. And then encouraging shows us how to handle those challenging situations that come up in every one of our lives. Encouraging is saying, you know what, I went through that. And that's why I ask a lot of you, when you share your story with me, or we go through 401, and we go through a shape interviews, I say, would you be willing to share your story with someone else to help them grow? We never just call your name out, but if you say, I'm willing, we can bring you alongside of someone, and you can encourage them. Because the people we choose to do that, they're people that are safe to talk to, there are people that we can share our strengths as well as our weaknesses. There are people we can even confess our sins and say, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? And then finally, God gives us the gift of prayer that connects us to God and also connects us to one another. 
The Bible says, let us. Say that word with me. Us. Say it again. Us. That means God has called us to pray together. That's why we do our Saturday prayer service. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive His mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus taught us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. He's saying when you go to God, talk to Him as a Father. And Some people today don't have that experience of having a a godly father, a healthy father, but in Christ you discover what God is like. And he says, our father, may your name be kept holy. I want my wife's name protected. I want my children's name protected. I want your name protected. And I'm very jealous for your name. I'm very jealous for the name of the church. I'm jealous for my name. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray like this, we want to honor the name of the Lord. It's the reason that I think one of the the most grievous things we can do is to always be going around going, my God, good God, or something like that. God's name is holy. Can you say amen? Jesus' name is holy. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm we are God's children. Boy, that changes prayer. When I stood inside the jade, uh, the temple for the Jade Buddha in Thailand, and I watched people weeping and beating themselves, praying, hoping, bringing all kinds of offerings to this idol. When I watched people, Becky and I, in a, in a church worshiping the head of a, what's supposed to be a saint, a dead saint, and crying and beating themselves. When I witnessed people beating themselves and flagellating themselves, trying to get God's approval. Friends, we don't have to do that. We are blood-washed, born-again children of God. He's adopted us as his own. Somebody say, come on, victory tonight. I mean, that just ought to just light your fire. Well, I got to finish up here. Number two, how we grow spiritually is different for each of us. How we grow. Each of us grow differently. Not all of us grow the same. Some of us grow through reading. Some of us grow through listening. I mean, books have always been such a blessing to me all my life. You know, I've been reading, you know, as far back as I can remember. Books have been such a blessing, but I've got friends who tell me, I just can't read, but I can listen to a book or I can listen to a podcast. And if you remember back years and years ago, the cassette tapes, I know people that had, listen, I have thrown away boxes and boxes of cassette tapes that people have given me through the years. You know, we used to have bookworms, and then we went through a period of time where people became tapeworms. You know, they had all these tapes. But there were a lot of people, and I'm mocking that because some people, that's how they go. And if you're listening to a book, that's just as good as reading a book. Somebody may disagree with that, but they're wrong, okay? Some people grow by being busy for Jesus. They, they really sense the presence of God, and they sense themselves growing when they're, maybe they're witnessing, or maybe they're serving other people, maybe they're helping in a home ministry. Some people grow because they need to be around other people. Uh, they need to be around small groups. They need to be with other people where they can exchange ideas and swap ideas. I've got friends that I get invited to occasionally join them. 
they drive me bananas because they spend the night arguing and debating the finest points of doctrine and words and meanings, and they never come to a conclusion. But when they walk out of there, they're just ecstatic. They're glowing. They're growing. I walk out of there and say, I am so glad that's over with. Because we grow differently. We learn differently. There's no single formula. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. What's he saying? Sometimes you've got to be willing to experiment. I can tell you right now, to be in a group that argues and debates, that's not how it helps me grow. As a matter of fact, to be a part of an activistic group who they want to do a lot of ministry and be busy, that's not what helps me grow. I've learned a lot of this through experiments. Here are some thoughts and some questions I'd like to share with you tonight. Number one, and I'll go through these quickly. Ask yourself, ask yourself, who did God create me to be? Can you answer that? Number two, how did God shape me? And in case you're watching online, here at Woodland, we use uh, uh, a ministry and personality test that was developed by um, uh, Saddleback Church. Shape stands for spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, and experience. You might want to write that down if you're watching at home. Shape stands for spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, and experience. And you can find teaching on that at our website as well. Or you can go to Saddleback and find that. Uh, number three, pray this prayer to the Father. Say, Father, help me understand my uniqueness. I'm looking around this room tonight. And if, once you write that word uniqueness down, look at me for just a moment. I know every one of you. You're all very unique. I could walk up to you and say to you, Paul, you are one unique man. But I could also walk over to Sally and say, Sally, you are one unique woman. And somebody's telling me my preaching time is over with right here. But I'm going to ignore that because you're one unique woman yourself, you know. We're all unique. And you could say, Pastor, you're a unique man. Each of us are different. What I'm saying is don't fear trial and error. Try something. If it doesn't help you grow, don't be afraid to ditch it. Just Put it in the ditch and move on and try something else. Here's another question that I would ask myself. What will growing in faith look like? If I'm growing in my faith, what does that look like? Then ask yourself this question, and this is something I've been praying about since I was 18 years old, and I first heard it talked about in a college chapel, and that is what will experiencing the presence of God daily be like? And when one of our guest speakers challenged us with that. What would it feel like? What would it be like to experience the presence of God daily? And every single morning, I find myself saying, Lord, I just want to walk in the Spirit. I want to live in the Spirit. I want to experience your presence today. Out of that, I wrote this question, what will the empowerment of the Holy Spirit feel like? Because Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then now when I say finally, this really is finally. The other finally was for point one. So this is thirdly, finally tonight. Spiritual growth is not easy, but it is possible. It's not easy, but it is possible. Let me point out, and I'll be very brief with this. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. In other words, you're going to grow. God's going to help you grow if you'll cooperate with him. But then look at what Paul was very honest when he wrote about in Romans chapter 7. I've tried everything and nothing helps. 
I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? If you're frustrated that you're not growing, if you're frustrated that you're still arguing with those carnal, selfish attitudes that Peter and Paul talked about, arguing, jealousy, you know, gossip, you know, envy, those kinds of things, he says, isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. I love that phrase, this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Just like the Holy Spirit will tug at you and nudge at you, the power of sin will influence you. The Bible then says this, and I'm wrapping it up with this, and that about wraps it up. God is strong. He wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you. Now listen, well-made weapons are the best materials. Put them to you so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. You should underline that in your outline tonight. Everything the devil throws your ways. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we will walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. I was sharing with someone today how I skied all day long on a glacier lake, all day long. And the next morning, I had to ask Becky to shave my face because I couldn't lift my hand to shave. We got into the van to go through the mountains, and I literally had to lift this hand to put it on the steering wheel, and then I remembered I had to put it in gear, so I lifted this hand and pulled it. Becky says, are you able to drive? And I go, I think I'll be able to make it. But after a couple of hours, all the motoring kicked in, and it was a nice day. That was an athletic adventure for a day. I've never done that again. Don't want to do that again. He's saying, the trials you're facing, this is not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This is for keeps. It's a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. Listen to me, beloved. The reason I put this last point in for us tonight, it's not easy, but it's possible. The devil fights you every single day to try and keep you from growing, to get your mind off of growth, to give you a reason to be jealous, to give you a reason to want to argue, to give you a reason to be contentious, to pull you every day away where you don't desire what God wants from you. This is just an honest confession. When I started my walk with Christ in those early days, I expected that if I failed or if I sinned, that the heavy hand of God's judgment would come down upon me. That's exactly what I expected. But to my surprise, what I discovered is that when I failed or when I sinned, God reached out his hand, he reached down, and he picked me up, and he lifted me up, and he encouraged me, and he showed me how to walk in a way. And what I have learned, what I have learned in living for Jesus is this. He not only encourages me, he not only instructs me, but he warns me of the potholes that are coming in life. And I would have said down south, he warns me of the pits and the obstacles. But living in Michigan, you know what I mean about potholes. You lose a bumper, you lose a wheel, a tire. He warns me about the potholes in life. And when I'm wounded, he breaks the yokes. When I'm wounded, he breaks the bondages. 
and he sets my feet on a solid rock, and he puts a song in my heart. That's not what I expected, but that's exactly who he is. And I've anchored that in Scripture by reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Let's pray together. We love you, Father, and more than anything else, we want to grow. I want growth for us. I want growth for everyone that is listening tonight. I want growth for my children and grandchildren and for Becky and I. So we thank you for having given us these great gifts, for having gone to the lengths that you did, not only to give Christ for our sins at Calvary, but to give us your word, to give us prayer, to give us the church. Father, to give us the tools that we need to grow together. For it's in Christ's name I ask. Amen and amen. God bless you. Good night. Thanks so much for joining us this evening.